Good morning, Church at the Mill. So good to see you this morning, and thank you for your faithful cooperation through the cooperative program, and not just for that, but Church at the Mill, you guys are joyfully participatory in all things South Carolina Baptist. Man, you guys, you are planting churches, you are scholarshipping seminary students, you're funding missionaries, you're coming to the aid of, of communities in disaster and crisis relief uh, and of many different ways every single year. You're doing that and so much more because you pull not just your resources, but your relationships and your prayers together with like-minded Baptist churches across the Palmetto State, and it is my joy and it's my honor to be your lead servant at the South Carolina Baptist Convention. So thank you for your partnership in the gospel. And I'm thankful for Pastor DJ. Uh, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't just one of the first. He was the first who shook my hand and asked me to fill the pulpit. So I'm honored at the sacred trust that he's given to me this morning to proclaim God's word to you. And speaking of which, I'd love for you to find your copy of it now and turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. I want you to know as you turn there how special it is that you have a pastor who week after week preaches the Word of God with such skill and such precision and such spirit-led passion. This is God's gift to you. Hey, look at me. If you want to know the central place of human thriving. If you want to know wholeness in life and relationships and ministry, if you want to know and experience all that God desires for you, this is the central place of human thriving, to know and live in accordance to God's Word. And you have a gift in Pastor DJ that he so carefully and precisely and rightly divides the word of truth for you week in and week out. Now, you've been on a journey through 1 Corinthians together. I think you've been in 1 Corinthians about 137 years or something like that. And you finally ended 1 Corinthians last week. And you probably know this better than I do, but 1 Corinthians is a book that emphasizes the Holy Spirit's word through Paul, emphasizes the, the not just the joy of church, but like how to do church and how to do it well. The design of church and the frustrations and difficulties of church. So I thought it might be a good idea to take you to another book of the Bible, the Psalms, Psalm 133 today, where the Holy Spirit through King David talks about the blessedness of Christian togetherness. The blessedness of Christian togetherness. Psalm 133 is the penultimate song of ascent. It is the 14th out of 15 psalms in the back of Israel's psalm book that they would sing as they walked up the hill toward Jerusalem three times a year for a holy festival day. And as they're walking, they're singing. Now, the psalm right before this in Psalm 132 reminds them that, that as they sing that they're going not just to this place to gather, but under the old covenant where the very presence of God dwelt. So they're ascending the mount, ascending the hill of Zion to meet with one another in the presence of God. Now, how are they getting there? Nobody rented a Suburban. There's no Greyhound bus. There's not an executive coach. They're not flying first class on Southwestern American Airlines. How are they getting there? They're walking. They're walking together from the furthest corners of the region, and as they're walking together and converging upon Jerusalem, Mount Zion together, they're singing. They have traveling songs. Do you have some traveling songs? Maybe you sing. Maybe we don't do that anymore. Maybe it's a thing of the past. I don't know. But maybe you have some traveling songs your family sings as you head somewhere. I'll tell you what. To get some participation this morning, I'll start this way. I'll start the title of a popular traveling song, and you finish it out loud. Okay, you ready? It's going to be easy. 
Three questions. Here's the first one. You ready? The wheel's on the bus. All right, one out of one. Not bad. Not bad. Okay, here's the second one. John, Jacob. I lost a couple of you on that one. Don't ask me to spell it, but I think you got it right. Here's the last one, third of the test. You ready? 99 bottles of, uh-huh, I caught you, didn't I? Yeah, gotcha. The Israelites are singing traveling songs, these, these 15 psalms of ascent in the back of their hymn book as they're journeying up the hill toward Jerusalem. Now watch this, this is really important. The closer they get to Jerusalem, we're going to get to the text in just a second. The closer they get to Jerusalem, the closer they get to one another. It's just simple physics, isn't it? They're traveling from, from the farthest corners of the region of the kingdom of Israel, and then the closer they get as they converge upon the, the mountains, they converge upon Mount Zion in Jerusalem, the closer they get to one another. Friends and family they hadn't seen in a very long time, in months even, they, they get closer together as they get closer to the presence of God, and they join in singing. Here's my invitation this morning. Let's listen to them sing. That's it. I, just, I want you and me to just kick back for a minute and listen to the community of faith sing together as they approach the hill of the Lord. Psalm 133, listen to them sing. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Father, help us hear the song we sing this morning. And God, by your grace, Help us walk this road together as we sing it in simple faith in the presence of the Lord together. In Christ's name, amen. And Vanessa, my wife and I, we have two sons, and uh, my sons love music. They love all kinds of music. And uh, I'm, when I say all kinds, I mean like from 50s oldies through like 70s and 80s rock to 90s country to like 2000s pop music and contemporary Christian music. They just, they like it all. And so uh, when they were four and eight years old, it's a pretty good spread for our kids. When they were four and eight years old, uh, we, were, we were outside of a store, and Vanessa, my wife, was in the store shopping. And uh, Ethan and Aaron and I were in the car, you know, waiting on mom, shopping. And what were we doing? Well, we were listening to music, had the radio on. I remember this moment. It was one of these distinctive dad moments for me. You'll understand why in just a minute. So we're listening to the radio, waiting on mom, and Hotel California comes on. Okay, and the Christian in me thought, I mean, I know what the song's about, right? I should probably, like, change the channel. But as I reached for the knob, the 80s child in me came out, and I just turned it up instead for some reason. And there I'm just closing my eyes thinking, surely they're not listening, right? They won't know. They won't get it. And so about halfway, maybe three-quarters of the way through the song, I look up in the rear view, and I see my two sons in the back, and I realize they had been singing every single lyric without a miss. They already knew it. They knew Hotel California, and, and <laughs> inside me, I know I probably should have been ashamed or something like that, but it was, it was like a huge dad win for me. I was super proud of that, you know, flesh one, spirit zero, that kind of thing. And so, 
So as I watched and they were singing the, the Hotel California, we got to the end of the song. My oldest one asked this question. He said, Dad, what kind of song is this? What's this song about? To which I quickly, without hesitation, replied, you'll have to ask your mother, right? <laughs> but what kind of song is it? What kind of song is Psalm 133? What exactly are we talking about? What exactly is the point of this song? Well, certainly it's a song of joy. It's a song of wonder, you can tell. It's poetically written. It's a song of inspiration. But, but really, the meat of this song, it's a song of Christian unity. And we don't have a lot of songs in our, our hymn book today about Christian unity, just about how to do this together thing well. And this is a song about Christian unity and togetherness. So let's work through these lyrics together as we hear them sing. In verse 1, what we see is that Christian unity commands a solemn, grateful pause. Christian unity commands a solemn, grateful pause. The first word, behold. Behold. Behold is a demonstrative. It's, a, it's an exclamatory statement. It's like, hey, or wow, or listen. So this opening lyric commands our attention. It stops us while we're on the road together and commands us to look around and be grateful and be responsive about what exactly is happening here. So they're, they're, they're gathering together. The closer they get to Mount Zion as they sing, their distant, faint uh, dissonances become a bolstering unison as they get together, as they get closer and closer to the presence of the Lord together. It's like they start this way. Look around. Don't miss this. What's happening here is special. It's worth calling attention to. It's worth celebrating. It's worth a pause in thanksgiving. Behold, don't miss this. Now, it's just like you and me, really, to miss the extraordinary and the regular rhythms of grace, isn't it? I mean, we gather every week. But it's just like us to miss extraordinary things in the ordinary rhythms of grace. So here's our first invitation as we hear them sing today. Behold, watch. How good and pleasant it is, the song continues, how good and pleasant it is. This rare, noteworthy thing is among us, and it is good and it is pleasing. There are different kinds of things that stop us in the track. Sometimes on the road we stop uh, to reflect on a frustrating thing. Or sometimes along the road together we stop to reflect on a dangerous thing. Those frustrating, like when, the, like when those kids are fighting in the back seat, right? And you've had it up to here, whatever that means. And if you've told them once, you've told them how many times? Like a thousand times. And they know they're not supposed to argue in the back seat, but they're getting off, you know, on one of each other's on their nerves. And then you turn around and you, and you bring up the mom voice. You know what I'm talking about? You got my voice, and you're like, do you want me to turn this car around? And the look in your eyes dares them to say yes, right? Like, you know. And so you stop, and you, and you pause. It's a frustrating thing, but sometimes it's not a frustrating thing. Sometimes it's a dangerous thing that makes you stop and pause. Maybe it's that puddle that you hit on the road and sent your car into a tailspin, or maybe it's that truck driver who pushed you too close to the railing on the bridge, and you just pull over and stop and catch your breath and just reflect on it and breathe. But this sight to behold, the one that they're talking about, is not a frustrating thing, and it's not a dangerous thing. This song sings about a good thing, a pleasant thing. What is it? Look at the text. When brothers dwell in unity. Now, if you have boys, you know how rare 
and special that is. In the back seat, whenever they're, they're actually playing together and laughing and talking to one another, and you just kind of you just kind of pause and you think, huh, I didn't know they could do that. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So frustration and danger, man, those things abound in a world like ours that's broken and scarred by sin. So when real Christian unity is on display, it should turn the heads of the watching world. But let's qualify that. What are we talking about? Unity. What does that even mean? What does Christian unity look like? Well, unity is not uniformity, as if we all have to dress the same and look the same and like the same kind of songs and vote the same kind of ticket. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not unanimity. We don't even have to agree on everything. You know that? In order to have biblical unity, we don't even have to agree on everything. So biblical unity, Christian unity is not uniformity, and unity is not unanimity. Unity is joyful Christian togetherness. It's a people of one heart and one mind. And our Christian togetherness should be turning the heads of the watching world. They should behold the goodness and the pleasantness of our gatherings and realize that what we have here is special. Now, sometimes, I'm just going to be honest, when Baptists get together, much of what we do turns the heads of the watching world for all the wrong reasons. But the song of the saints on higher ground should drown out all the dangers and all the frustrations of the day. If you were just looking around during the worship service at Church at the Mill this morning, you know this to be true. Think about this. Millions, tens of millions of Baptists all over the United States and all over the world are gathering right now this morning, and they're doing exactly what you're doing. They're singing songs of praise. They're praying, praying prayers of faith. They're shaking hands. They're hugging necks. They're smiling. They're listening to the Word of God proclaimed faithfully and unapologetically. And this is who we are, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. We're not all the same. We're not all going to agree on everything, but we are of one mind and one heart, and that's special, as it should be. This is the kind of Christian unity that commands a solemn, grateful pause. Behold. And next, kind of in the middle, in the, in the meat of the song, in verses 2 and the first part of verse 3, you see this. Christian unity is precious and refreshing. Christian unity is precious and refreshing. In verses 2 and 3, the song gives us two illustrations. It paints a picture of the goodness and the pleasantness of Christian unity. Let me just ask you, if you... If you were to paint a picture, maybe you're the artistic kind, you're the creative kind in here. If you were to paint a picture of Christian unity, what would you paint? What would it look like for you? If I just gave you an assignment and said, hey, draw a picture for me of what it looks like to be unified in Christ. What would it look like? Well, I didn't pass out crayons and construction paper this morning. So thankfully, the Holy Spirit through King David has given us two illustrations, two visuals of what it looks like to have true biblical Christian unity. And, and these two things are two illustrations in verses 2 and 3. They're two pictures of the kind of Christian unity that is good and that is pleasant. The two illustrations are visual catechisms. And by that, I mean when the Israelites think about these things and imagine them, or when they experience them in person, these two illustrations should teach them something about Christian unity. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, they're reminded that Christian unity is as special as the anointing of the high priest. Here's verse 2. 
It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. So these lyrics are a throwback to Leviticus chapter 8 where the Israelites watched Moses as he anointed, at God's instruction, anointed Aaron as the high priest with oil and that, that oil went on his head and ran down his beard and dripped down on the collar of his robes. It is a rich and compelling picture of the preciousness, and watch this, the holiness of that moment. And King David, through the Holy Spirit, is saying like that, that precious and holy moment, when we get together in the presence of the Lord and we experience true, refreshing Christian unity, this is a precious and holy moment. There's a holiness to Christian unity that sets us apart from every other gathering on the face of the planet. So Church at the Mill, when we we come together in Christian unity, this is a precious and holy moment. Here, together, God's grace covers our heads and runs down our faces. Charles Spurgeon commented on this kind of unity and love. He said this, it runs where it is not sought for, asking neither permission nor license to make its way. Like in verse 3, they're reminded that Christian unity, not only like Aaron's beard and collar, Christian unity is not only a special and holy thing, like their high priest, but it is a refreshing thing. It's as refreshing as the morning dew. Look here in verse 3. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion early in the morning as the dawn broke a new day, this cool, refreshing breeze would carry the snow from the top of the tallest mountain in the region, Mount Hermon, and that snow in the form of dew would come down and it would fall on every valley and on every hilltop in Israel's kingdom. And here in the upstate, you, you know something about this natural wonder, the smell of the morning dew and the feeling of freshness when it touches your skin, it just enlivens your soul. It stirs thanksgiving in your heart for the one who brings it down. And in the context of Christian unity, this good thing, this pleasant thing, is a refreshment of gathered grace. It is a gift from God coming down, not just to individuals, but to his gathered people, a good and pleasant thing that revives the soul. Christian unity is a precious and holy thing. It is a refreshment of gathered grace in the body of Christ. Can't you feel that refreshment this morning? Can you feel the gathered grace of God as he pours out the freshness of the dew of Hermon here in our gathering in his presence? Then we come to the end of the song kind of the coda, I guess, if you will, if you look at the end of verse, thir- uh, of verse 3, and we find that Christian unity is a heavenly melody with an earthly refrain. Christian unity is a heavenly melody with an earthly refrain. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing. Listen to it again. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing. A few weeks ago, I was on a brief road trip all by myself, left early in the morning because I had to be where I needed to be early in the morning. And I left without coffee, which is my first mistake. And then I just figured, hey, when it's time and the coffee shop's open, I'll just punch it in my GPS and I'll find me a coffee shop. So I punched it in Apple Maps and uh, it said, hey, next exit, here's a coffee shop. So I exited right at 6 o'clock onto this road where my Apple Maps had promised me a coffee shop and I went down half a mile and I passed the spot where it was supposed to be and guess what? No coffee shop. 
And so sometimes I get easily distracted. You can probably already tell that by now. And so I drove down the road, you know, another half a mile. I thought, well, maybe I just missed it. So I turned around and came back by, and I'm going this way, and I look, and that's the spot, and I'm checking it with my map, and guess what? No coffee shop. Apple Maps lied. It lied to me. Promised something it could not deliver. I was frustrated, and I needed coffee, and I saw a McDonald's. It was a weak moment. So I pulled into McDonald's, into the drive-thru, and I thought, well, if I'm at McDonald's, I might as well get me one of them, uh, what do you call those, McMuffin, sausage McMuffins, right? So I thought, well, I'll just get, no, 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 it was a McGriddle, sausage McGriddle, right? Right choice, you've chosen wisely. And so, so I ordered me a hot black coffee and a sausage McGriddle with cheese, and I drove away with a cold black coffee and a syrupy, cheesy pancake sandwich. I don't know how you forget to put sausage on a sausage McGriddle, but they found a way. That's probably another illustration for another day. But Apple Maps had promised me something that it could not deliver. I drove away very disappointed. I had my hopes up. I was looking for something that I did not find. And do you know that, that some people search their whole lives for what God has promised to give them only in the gathering of the saints in the presence of the Lord. Some people search in various gatherings, in various relationships, in various places their whole lives for something that God has promised to give them only in the gathering of the saints in the presence of the Lord. There is a special and precious blessing that God, listen to this word, that God commands toward the saints it is a special blessing that they will never find anywhere else. Where is it? Where does God command the special blessing? It is in the gathering of the saints in the presence of the Lord. Listen to me. God has something special for you here. In the gathering of the saints, in the presence of the Lord. Here, you make beautiful music together. Here, you find what you will never find anywhere else. And what is that blessing exactly? What is it that we find here? You, most of you, if you've been in the faith for long enough and you've come to the meal long enough, then you know it when you feel it. But maybe, maybe you don't know how to express it, put it into words. What is it? What is this blessing that we know we receive at the command of the Lord whenever we gather together in His presence? What is it? The last two words of the psalm. Life forevermore. Wait a minute. What? I thought we were talking about like gathering in a building with a group of people. Life forevermore seems a bit of a stretch, don't you think? How are we going to find life forevermore in the gathering of a group of people? That's right here in this last lyric that the remarkable mystery of Psalm 133 is revealed, if you'll listen. So what we're singing in Psalm 133 is a heavenly melody with an earthly refrain. It is a present expression of a future reality. It's a temporal manifestation of an eternal blessing. If you continue reading through the book, the pages of the Bible, you read the story of when God stepped into human history through the womb of a human virgin, Emmanuel, God with us, God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect sinless life that you and I could never live. He died the death all of us deserve on the cross of Calvary where the Father poured the full weight of his wrath out against your sin and my sin onto the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus took on our sin. He became the curse for us on the cross. They took his lifeless body off of the tree and they buried it in a borrowed tomb. 
He rose from the dead on the third day, just as scriptures had foretold. And the Bible says that anyone, anywhere, including you and me right now, if we'll turn away from our sin, that's the word repent, will believe in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of this Jesus Christ and will call on him for salvation, then, then God will wash us clean from our sin. He'll give us a, a new name and a new hope of a future glory and a life full of purpose and power right here while we wait as we look to that future day when we gather with all the saints in the presence of the Lord around the throne of God. Psalm 133 is a song of faith. When the singers lift their eyes onward and they project their voices upward, they're casting their faith forward, forward to a day when the blessing of everlasting life, life forevermore will come at the command of God to every single person who has ever repented from sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. There, in the presence of Jehovah, God Almighty, Prince of Peace, there, when the roll is called up yonder, there, in the sweet by and by, there, when we all get to heaven, there, where for endless days we will sing his praise, O Lord, O Lord, our God, there, when I'm Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. There where the lamb who is worthy has broken the seal and opened the scroll. There when I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art. There God has commanded the blessing, life forevermore there. And listen, I just stopped by on my way there this morning to invite you to listen to this song and sing it with me. And to assure you of the joy of the journey when we walk this road and sing this song of faith together. Together is better. Behold. I mean, look. Behold how good and pleasant this is. There's so much that threatens to divide us. Too often, the noise of our very sin-sick world drowns out the song of heaven. So just be reminded today that there is a special blessing commanded by God himself when we walk this road and sing this song together. Lord, thank you for songs of faith like this that enliven our souls and refresh our spirits. Thank you for a community of faith like the mill where so many have found exactly what you promised. Lord, in a small way, in a very temporal way, right here this morning, we're able to receive the blessing that you've commanded toward your people of faith who gather in the presence of the Lord. But those of us who have received that blessing, even now in this moment, we know that we still live in a sin-sick world, and so we cast our faith forward to a day when we'll all gather around the throne of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's a special, precious, good blessing in our togetherness as Christians. And some have gathered this morning and, and they've come and, and they're searching. Lord, they searched all over the place. They tried. They tried to find this good, special, unique, precious, peculiar thing in some other gathering or in some other relationship or somewhere else and they just haven't found it. And Lord, here you are so kindly inviting them into this fellowship of yours. If right now in this moment, even as they're bowing in prayer and reflection, if they'll just ad admit their sin before you, confess it to you, 
decide right now to turn away from that and instead to put all of their faith, all of their hope in Jesus Christ. Your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection for the forgiveness of their sin to cleanse them white as snow. Give them the future hope of, hor- uh, of heaven and a life full of purpose and power right here while they wait. God, as they cry out to you from the depths of their souls, save them. And Lord, for those who who have just been stirred by your word this morning, would you draw them to one of the pastors or staff later after we conclude the service and just say, hey, we need to talk. Would you put those words in their mouth? Hey, we need to talk. And Lord, give them words to express how you've been working on their heart today. We entrust all this with you, the God who hears and who cares and who can. We've come here to meet with you and to hear from you, and we have. Allow us the privilege of being changed because of that. Please, God, in Jesus' name.